KZSU Stanford, 9.1 FM. I am Mark Molino. This is the Henry George Program. This is a show about housing, politics, and a lot more. During the program, we have Jennifer Bradshaw. She is a Vancouver housing activist. Who's also written online in support of the LVT, land value tax, in Vancouver. I called her up, and uh, yeah, she explained to me uh, a lot about what's going on in Vancouver housing. Without further ado, welcome Jennifer. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so I guess, could you uh, introduce listeners to, uh, I guess, who you are, you know, what what your work is in housing activism, and just kind of, for people in the Bay Area who may know very little about the Vancouver scene, you know, you know what <laughs> what is Vancouver, and what, what, should, what should people know? Right. So uh, my name is Jennifer Bradshaw. I am a renter. I'm a housing activist with Abundant Housing Vancouver. My day job, I'm a data analyst in a, a game studio, actually, completely unrelated to housing. Uh, Vancouver right now is basically at a place where we may really be kind of going backwards, honestly, um, when it comes to uh, our housing issues. Um, we were, even before in Minneapolis, when it came to allowing duplexes, um, and we were quite early when it came to allowing laneways back then. But now we've had a recent uh, municipal council change. Uh, the ruling Vision Vancouver Party is now decimated. People thought that they really did not do enough for, uh, to counter the housing crisis. And so they've been largely replaced by a really big mixed bag of councillors that are, frankly, some of them are, are very pro status quo. Um, and so that's kind of where we're at. We've legalized duplexes. Last council did de- uh, did legalize duplexes, but the new council might resent that. And so in a lot of ways, it's it's a homeowner revolt. They felt they went too Basically, far. Basically, yes. Yeah, no, there definitely has been a bit of a, a homeowner revolt. Um, there's also been, um, I think, just a bit of a, a lack of understanding on the part of the electorate, too, of really the, the causes of this current housing crisis. Foreign speculation is talked about so much in Vancouver, and that's certainly part of it. But the fact that we also ban apartments in 70, over 70% of Vancouver is also a big part of that as well. And we really can't move forward, I don't think, uh, with more options for renters for a, a higher vacancy rate in the city of Vancouver without allowing for apartments in more neighborhoods. Uh, do you think Do you think that there's kind of a tendency to oversimplify and point fingers, especially at China, as as being a driver of speculation? Because I feel that if you say foreign, you know, when you say foreign speculation, it can be a lot more damning than saying the fact there's you know a large system in which even even normal people are speculating on their own home value. Right. No. Absolutely. Um, I, I understand the. The, the need almost to point fingers and to say that it's not our fault. Um, it's very hard, I think, for homeowners when they see their kids struggling. Uh, you know, my generation, the millennial generation, and younger generations that are stuck between uh, ever increasing tuition payments and um, and astronomical housing costs, and obviously we can't buy. And then they look at their houses and think, oh, I have two, three million dollars in in home equity, that, that that's great. I can either retire and be extremely wealthy and have lots of fun traveling around the world, and that's literally what my parents are doing. Um, or some other parents would be like, "Oh, it's fine. My, I can help my children with a with a down payment for them to buy a condo, and they can they'll be able to have a family and they'll be able to have kids." But that that means, of course, that people whose parents don't have that homeownership. My my partner, for example, his mother is a single mother. They were immigrants and they never were able to jump on that property ladder. So obviously there have always been people excluded. And so that means this this gap between the 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 people who are able to jump on that property ladder and they have that 
wealth available and they have that access to it versus the people that haven't, the renters. Yeah, that, that gap is widening. I always, I always, you know, kind of just tend to refer to the American dream, you know, it's just such a strong thing here of, you know, kind of getting the property ladder, getting home equity, you know, being rich uh, and just living an easy life. Is that also the Canadian dream? Is that, is that even a phrase there? I don't, I don't know how that works. <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously we are aware of the concept of the American dream and I'm sure, yes, that has been... And, you know, our experience has been very similar. We've stolen land from indigenous peoples. We have commoditized it. We have uh, all benefited from from this. Uh, the homeowners have benefited from speculation, regardless of whether it's local or foreign. They have, they have profited greatly from increased property prices. So, unfortunately, we tend to want to blame others, but we are, homeowners, landowners are complicit in this. We had an, a municipal election and the council that was quite predictable majority, um, it was, the ruling party was called Vision. They were really decimated. Um, really, they were taken to task for not doing enough with the housing crisis. Uh, although really, I think their hands were quite tied with the, with the federal and provincial governments what they were um and so the new council is quite a mixed bag uh there are no vision councillors left and basically uh the green party the um two two other progressive parties and the mayor form a sort of a very uneasy alliance progressive wing alliance and then there is a very um solid uh basically a a more traditional right-wing uh, coalition, uh, right, right-wing party, uh, the NPA, um, uh, that is much more, obviously, they have a landowner base and they very much won't be, you know, doing anything much uh, like upzoning. So a lot of the initiatives that Vision Vancouver um, had forwarded, uh, the Making Room program that um, already uh, tried to legalize duplexes in all over the city, for example, that the, the NPA is definitely pushing hard to try and get that rescinded. So uh, when you say the vision, is it, it, what was the vision of, of this coalition? So the Vision Party uh, was a, a center-left progressive party. Their vision uh, was a green Vancouver that was um, a little bit more open to apartments. And they were definitely trying, to, uh, with the Making Room program, to basically make room for more more apartments, allowed in more of the residential zones around Vancouver. So, yeah, I mean, everyone, I feel, you know, around here, uh, I, I think Vancouver got a lot of press for this whole thing of allowing in 99% of single-family uh, residents' uh, neighborhoods allowing duplexes. Um, and. Right. And and I, I think we're we're hearing similar things happening here in the states in uh, Minneapolis and Portland yeah, is talking. Yeah. yeah, Minneapolis just passed this week. Uh, so it was proposed, and then there was a lot of controversy about it. From my understand, could you? I, I, well, what's the whole story behind that? Sorry, what was the story about the duplexes? In Vancouver? Yeah, I guess Vancouver. I guess it's it was propo- like it was proposed as far, part of a plan. Is it, is it a done deal, or is it still mm-hmm. being negotiated, or is it being rolled back, or what? What exactly is happening? All right, so I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll start from the beginning of that. So Vision Vancouver started the Making Room program. It is a big, long program, and there's been tens of thousands of interviews and consultation processes taking forever. But basically, the last um, the Vision Vancouver, before the election, they had a quick start motion within the Making Room program to legalize duplexes. So that was part of that Making Room program. It was one of the quick start actions that they recommended to do or that, that city staff recommended to do immediately. Um, and we were that passed because Vision Vancouver had a majority. Uh, the NPA, uh, particularly uh, Councillor Hardwick, one of their really hardliners in that party, has pushed really hard to rescind that motion. That the duplexes are right now illegal, but there's a, a motion that was heard about a couple of weeks ago, and it's going to come back after a staff report to city, uh, to city Hall, another public hearing, I believe. Basically, Council Hardwick is trying to rewind on duplexes. So it will be a final vote, and then it will determine whether Vancouver is really going to go ahead with this or not. 
Right. So it has passed. Dupacus are currently legal. Uh, there hasn't been that many applications yet. There's only been a couple that I've heard of. Three last I heard, but there's probably more since then. Um, so yeah, it could be rescinded uh, very shortly. Now, there is a basically the new council has promised has has voted to pass a new citywide plan. And so what the NPA and Councilor Hardwick is trying to do right now is rewind on duplexes and then basically have duplexes as yet another, basically they're shifting the status quo, right? They're shifting the status quo backwards so that in the citywide plan, maybe there'll be a, a, a grand compromise and they can allow duplexes. But that's really more just a, a step backward and a step forward again. It, it's, a delay, it's a delay tactic, basically, so that starting point isn't, okay, we legalize duplexes, let's try and legalize apartments. No, we want to go back all the way to not allowing even duplexes. Does that make sense? And is, is this largely because people want to protect the character of the single-family neighborhoods? Is that, I- Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, yeah. So the NPA, the Nonpartisan Association, is very much a, the base is the wealthy West Side homeowners. Uh, and yes, they are you know, I don't know how much I, I really believe in the heritage conservationists and their rhetoric, really. I, I, I really think that it's less to do with their, the form of the older buildings and such. I really do believe that it's more of a classist. I, I don't want the p- types of people that live in apartments to come to this neighborhood. I don't want their traffic. I like this single detached house neighborhood. Thank you very much. And I like the property values just as they are. Yeah, I, I was I was looking up some some stats. And I was like, so the east side average home price in Vancouver uh, one point four seven million. In the west side, three point five million. If I have this correct. Uh, I haven't checked the stats recently, but yes, it's something. That's a absolutely huge. Like I mean, that's huge all over. But three point five mm-hmm. for you know mm-hmm. I, that, that's that's insane. I mean, I'm trying to do the conversion Canadian to to, uh, to to U.S. dollars, but I mean that's. I mean that's huge. Yes, yeah, it's um, yeah. So basically, you know, minus twenty percent or whatever it is for the conversion into U.S. dollars. But yes, no, it is absolutely ludicrous. Um, and really, it's it's because Vancouver has you know zoned seventy five percent of its zoned for single detached houses, which really inflates land value prices. Um, for yeah, I mean you can't fit that many people in single detached houses, and we have. A uh, 4.5% job vacancy rate. So there's a lot of demand for for workers, for professionals in Vancouver, and just not enough um, housing units to to accommodate from. So uh, I guess, what do you feel is the importance of this uh, duplex motion compared to other ways of of dealing with uh, real estate speculation? Uh, in Vancouver, because I feel that's that's another thing that even people who aren't that familiar know that there is certainly a lot of investment going on real estate in Vancouver. Right. So there is, um, and we recently got some uh, data actually. Of, so basically, the provincial government put in some demand side measures quite uh, a couple years to a couple months ago. One of them was the empty homes tax, which allowed for us to collect some data on the distribution of empty homes in Vancouver. Obviously, people say that um, investors are are buying up units, their safety deposits in the sky, they're all empty, etc. Um, and what was found was that basically the wealthiest areas were the most emptiest. So the Shaughnessy Heights area of Vancouver, for example, which is basically a, a mansion district, 15 minutes from the downtown core. Uh, yeah, that was one of the most emptiest areas of Vancouver, 8% vacancy. So really there is a high correlation of investment and wealth, really, um, and empty units. So there, that is an, a factor, and the empty homes tax means that there is a, a, a stronger incentive now and higher carrying costs for people that are investing in real estate. Do you happen to know any of the details on how that is, I guess, administered and enforced um, with the vacancy tax, as it were? Uh, it is a, um, a self-reported, I believe, uh, but there are some uh, enforcement mechanisms. I'm not uh, very clear on the exact specific details of that mechanism, but basically it's a, it's a carrying cost. So if you're keeping the unit empty, um, I believe you're taxed up to 2% a year. 
on the value of it. But it, it, I mean, I'm a bit fuzzy on the exact details, so <laughs> don't quote me on this. But sure. Yeah, so it's a provincial measure. Yeah, so I mean, so 2% and yet adds to the carrying cost, and ideally that would push down people buying up real estate if it isn't being in use. Uh, but I guess one one of the big things, and you wrote an article, uh, you know, kind of drawing attention to this, is that one of the counselors, uh, this is uh, Christine Boyle, uh, yeah, just just uh, put forward a uh, motion to study uh, value capture and actually look at you know uh, look at land value tax in Vancouver to basically curb speculation at a at a much higher level. Uh, could you speak more about how this came about and and what a lot of the details of this are? Yeah, so One City is a relatively new party. Uh, they are definitely a center-left, uh, more progressive party. And Christine Boyle um, ran on a windfall tax uh, idea, which is basically a land value capture tax. Um, and she was elected. Uh, she put forward a motion to study a land value capture tax in Vancouver, which we actually have had before. Um, Christopher Eng- England, who is a historian, an economic historian, who um, who studied that, uh, I, I read his article a little bit, and yeah, so uh, before 1984, we already had a land value tax in Vancouver, but that was repealed after a lot of pushback from landowners. It's kind of a story of... Um you know, very, very uh, pro land value tax mayor, uh, single tax uh, Charles Taylor, but but it sounds like the reasons rolled back was not only kind of the really powerful you know landowners and the urban core and the people who you know make huge money, but as much as like even average kind of working homeowners uh, started to really fight back against the fact that the property tax was seen unf- as unfair, which is something in California we definitely saw. A lot of that, which led to kind of really, really strong, uh, you know, Prop 13 makes it illegal. So it I'm, I'm, certainly seems certainly seems nice from our vantage that Vancouver at least has the luxury of uh, of being able to do things about it without a constitutional mm-hmm. amendment or anything. Right. No, that, I, I agree. We do have historical precedents, which does make it easier and just more politically palatable probably as well and and people can imagine having it again i suppose although you know obviously it's really hard to fight against landowners anywhere they have a lot of of uh, political voice and they vote a lot more in higher numbers than renters do and so it can be difficult to fight back against and regardless of that but yeah i'm not having to uh to, uh, not to ha- not needing a constitutional amendment definitely helps <laughs> and vancouver is about is it about 50 percent renter is what i'm seeing yeah, it's over 50% under now. I think it's 52%. Yeah, and I imagine based upon the high home costs, it's that's only going to increase. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of latent demand still. Um, people of my, my own siblings, for example, are st- still stuck in our, you know the, my parents' basement. And it's, yeah, the, the second that there's something affordable that comes up for them downtown especially, they're going to try and move out. So... Yeah, no, there's definitely, you know, and they're in their late 20s, 30s, like, <laughs> there's definite need for more apartment buildings. So so is one city, is, is it, you know, strictly around this, or does it have a bunch of different policy platforms it tries to put forward? Uh, the one twelve thousand was only part of it. They're definitely very pro-renter, and they want, they were um, also pushing for tenant protections. Uh, and, yeah, a couple other things, but mostly... Um, on a, a green, progressive, uh, more uh, urbanist uh, platform. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like uh, is is that is that a major kind of coalition between? Because uh, I'm I'm again comparing kind of uh, what in all of British Columbia has has you know a good amount of rent stabilization protection and so on, and is there is there a good amount of coalition between those? looking to expand it i saw things about kind of looking for more vacancy control and the more and people who are looking to uh, add more supply through duplexes and allowing more apartments and then also looking to add taxes <laughs> is, is is that a natural coalition or is there a kind of or does this break off into different tribes right there there definitely is quite a bit of splintering um we don't have one party that really um encapsulates all of that unfortunately uh there's definitely a lot of suspicion between, for example, my own abundant housing Vancouver group versus the the, the Vancouver Tenants Union, for example. Um, 
you know, it's it's kind of unfortunate because a lot of we we want a lot of the same things. I think uh, we're always at the nonprofit and supportive housing rezoning hearings, and we don't really see VTU there, although we wish we did, and I'm sure VTU wishes that we were also at these these rallies um, against evictions and demo evictions and yeah i mean obviously we don't want those either i think that uh our priorities are a little bit different just because i i strongly believe that the, the best protection is a is a higher vacancy rate and when we are always you know, pushing only for rent control and for um for protections for people who are rent evicted or demo evicted it doesn't increase our supply of Apartments, which is really, it's direly needed. Our vacancy rate has been around 1% or less than 1% for years and years now. It's like, so if, if you were trying to explore, like, well, what is what is the best way to make sure that you can build more infill without, you know, with, with absolutely minimizing the danger of, of rent evictions and, and other eviction type processes? Right. So honestly, there's Shaughnessy, there's the West Point Gray, these mansion districts. These are the places that we should absolutely be upzoning right away to try to allow apartments, right? That, those are going to have the, the least minimal risk of displacement. They're empty. They're 8% empty, right? <laughs> they're these emptiest areas in Vancouver. And the land values aren't even that like that high, like per Per, per acre or per, per square foot for the land because they're just so sparsely populated and you have to, you know, the barrier to entry for these uh, parcels of land is $20 million. But, I mean, a, a family can't do that. A single family can't do that. But obviously 20 families that want to live in an apartment, yeah, sure, we can afford it. Um, maybe more like 50 or 50, but... <laughs> and, and, I mean, is there, is, there a, is, there a, is there an idea that Vancouver is a place where, you know, families can live in apartments and has the right infrastructure to make this work for, for, for families through, you know, raising them, uh, you know, cause I feel like so many places around here, the idea is like, Oh yeah, families are going to demand a backyard and that you need to preserve single family neighborhoods. Yeah, that's, it's definitely, it must be like a, a more of a, a North American historical artifact construct really i come from I, I was born in japan actually i'm half japanese and you know there <laughs> nobody had grown up in a, a single detached house with a backyard are you insane <laughs> of course not we all we all grew up in a you know old walk-up or a uh, in an apartment tower like these are the, the, the two things and if you were you know if your parents owned a hospital or something then you might have a small house but rarely would you have any lawn. I mean, even them. Like, <laughs> no, I think it's definitely um, the the North American experience is very much one of urban sprawl and suburban sprawl, right? There's been there has been lots of land until recently. If, as long as you are okay with cutting down green field and destroying tons of habitat and and stealing some land, of course, from, from the indigenous peoples. So that was the North American experience. If you look at older cities, uh, places in Asia, uh, places around Europe, you obviously see much more density. No, of course not. It's not necessary to have a, a bungalow or a, a house or a, a mansion, even maybe that's the, the mansions that are going up lately. You don't need that for a family. You just need, hopefully, a little bit over that thousand square feet, and it's fine to to have to have children there. And it's not even that people were always able to afford, not not everybody was able to afford a house, even though, even here, you know. Uh, people have been renting for decades. My partner's family has never owned a house, and that was a family. It, it's so odd to me how renters are treated as, as anomalies, as second-class citizens. No, renters are should be allowed everywhere, and it's perfectly fine to, to, have, to raise a family and without a a lawn that takes up way too much water in climate crisis. <laughs> so, so as as you know, just living in Vancouver becomes more expensive, and people feel the squeeze. What what kind, what kind of options like do people tend to look at when uh, uh, is is there is there outer sprawl or is moving to one of the major metros more likely for for people around there? Uh, definitely a, a, a bit of both. Um, unfortunately, a lot of fall is still happening uh so the, the vancouver is kind of located on the the 
the western edge of the Fraser Valley. There's a big Fraser River and there's um, areas to our east. And that's where we're kind of trying to sprawl right now. There's a lot of growth, the population growth going there because obviously Vancouver has not been densifying fast enough. So our the, popul- the metro Vancouver, the area around Vancouver, um, has had to uh, absorb a lot of the population growth because Vancouver hasn't densified that quickly enough. So while Vancouver is growing at something like 1% to 2% a year, um, other municipalities around us, Surrey and Langley, these areas have grown much, much, much faster. And there's a lot of infrastructure pressure and there's a lot, there's a lot of growing pains there, of course. Uh, there's a lot of crime. Uh, there's a big crime problem in Surrey, for example. Anyway, we really should be trying to to absorb this growth more evenly, right? Like Vancouver City of Vancouver, and actually there's there's municipalities that are much more suburby, like the district of North Vancouver and West Vancouver. And these are the two most wealthiest neighborhoods in Canada, precisely because they don't allow apartments, which house people with lower incomes, right? So, so as far as that goes, I guess is there is there seem to be a consensus that you know. Upzoning, upzoning West Vancouver, you know, where you have these three point five million dollar, you know, neighborhoods, uh, is that something like even the tenants union says, "Oh yeah, sure, go ahead," or is that something that it's it's harder to find a consensus on? Uh, there's definitely ex- extreme local pushback. Um, the 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 three million plus homeowners of West Vancouver really enjoy their 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 waterfront views and they would not be pleased with apartments going up blocking any part of that. Um, so no, there's definitely not a consensus. Uh, and it's interesting because even like even renters, we I don't think there's a very strong I think it's developing, but even renters like most people I talk to that are my you know, my colleagues for example, um, from work, even renters there, they don't understand that actually apartments are literally banned in these areas. They, they they express surprise when I tell them about that. I think zoning law is definitely still a. It, it's very much a thing that only urban nerds and and political scientists really worry that much about yet. Still, but hopefully that's that's changing. Well, I think I think it's partly yeah. What what does everybody know? is in their own personal interest, and if you are a homeowner, you want to see a lack of change, and you want to see. Uh, you want to see your home value preserved. If you're a renter, you like it's not like you really think about other places, but you want to see stability and you want to see low rents. But it's hard to kind of, I guess, you know, feel like you could like most renters. Do they really uh, want to get an entire picture of how to drive rents down in their head? You know, because it's 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 hard to hard to really uh, to to push for that when people just want to get by most of the time. Right. I think there's definitely a kind of a conceptual gap between zoning laws and the vacancy rate. So I do think people would be able to understand that, yes, when there's a higher vacancy rate, when there's, this is a very, you know, economic argument, right? There's a higher vacancy rate. It means that the tenant has choices and the landlords have to compete over each other to get a tenant. That is a power balance that a renter would want. It's like the, the buyer's market market or the seller's market. Right, it's it's really the landlord's market or the renter's market, but we don't really have a strong conceptualization of that still. Uh, at least most renters don't, so they don't really realize that. Oh, okay, we have a low vacancy rate, and this is why I can never find a place to live where I really want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why prices are going up so quickly. We don't really realize that on a wide scale yet. I, I hope that changes, and I can't. I keep on talking about it, right? Because yeah. okay, guys. When the vacancy rate goes up, rents go down. This is not just correlation. This is definitely causal. Well, um, and especially when you have a vacancy tax and, and land value taxes to keep their feet mm-hmm. hot, and that makes sure that mm-hmm. they can't be comfortable with high vacancy rates, which is, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, that's, I mean, is, is a vacancy tax seem to be, is that perceived to be effective uh, by people to say, like, this is doing a lot to, to make sure that their people are motivated to find renters to, to fill these units with? You know, there's a lot of noise in the press more more highlighting the landowner's perspective, honestly. Um, lots of people suggesting that the, land, the empty home tax isn't doing very much. 
Um, but I think that there's most people are don't mind it because just very few people are affected by it. Um, not very many people have an empty, <laughs> empty second condo or empty house in Vancouver lying around. Um, so there, at least there's not very much um, opposition in the general population for it. So that's good. And there are other measures actually, like the speculation tax. Yeah. So there are definitely prudential measures that um, have gone in, and not too much of a strong. Um, not widespread uh, opposition to these taxes. Only, you know, specific landowners, really, um, in the, let's say, West Vancouver or areas or um, in these high-value neighborhoods. Those voices are are definitely complaining about them, um, but they're only um, a very small part of the population. And they know, I think, that they are not going to be able to mobilize in numbers big enough to take down this current administration and the, and the province anyway. So I, I guess I'm, I, there seems like the it's kind of the land value capture motion that was passed, uh, that was put forward by uh, Christine Boyle. It sounds like it is not a whole lot of you know details. It's more about you know, kind of getting a study issue. But this would yep. presumably affect the entire city, you know, kind of including mm-hmm. the places that are the wealthiest and would have the most pushback. Uh, I mean, how politically feasible would it be, do you think, to have the rest of the city overcome the, these wealthy neighborhoods? Mm, with the current political environment, it's very doubtful. Christine is only one voice. Um, there is definitely a, a, a strong alliance, I think, between her and, and Cope, Jean Swanson of Cope. Um, they're more uh, the the party that really is pushing for the tenant protections, but there's definitely an alliance between those two. And Jean Swanson is a lovely longtime activist and uh, extremely, uh, I think, very trusted by the um, by the progressive left in Vancouver. Um, so that's that's great, but yeah, no, to, to be able to overcome the almost 50% still of, of people of Vancouverites that are owners, I think that would be very difficult. And I think that's definitely... It would be very difficult to do in the next four years. Certainly, that's that's almost certainly not going to be the case. But I think it's a motion to get the conversation started, to to get it on the electorate's mind, and and to let people know that this is an option and this could absolutely help with as a revenue stream to build more public housing. If that's really what we want and what we should push for. Then this is a really good way to fund it. And how, how is how is public housing in Vancouver? Like, how many units get created? And if you are applying for it, who is eligible? And, you know, how well do the programs serve them? Uh, extreme shortages everywhere across the board. There's huge lineups for welfare units. There's huge lineups for and wait lists for co-op housing. There's not much. There hasn't been much built in the last 30 years or so. In the 1990s, the province and the the federal government stop funding public housing. So there, there really hasn't been much built in the last 30 years. I, I do think under vision, uh, things are picking up back up a little bit. There's been some city land made available for co-ops and for um, non-profits to build below market housing. But yeah, it is, it is, what I've heard from non-profits is that basically there's a, they have their housing units and then there's at least double that number in their wait list. So... <laughs> Well, and how, like, as far as like time goes, how if you're getting through the queue, how long would that take? As far as you know, years, years, years. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's. I mean, I'm here, like in the Bay Area, you're talking decades, but yeah, right. it's. It seems like I, I just heard Singapore was talking about they're looking at a new public housing program that is trying to target four to eight weeks, which is that's. I mean, oh my gosh, really? it's it's nice to see people you know who actually have like ambition of of you know how do you make this work. Um, right. How, like, if you're if if you were trying to pinpoint, you know, for you know, decades and decades of uh, of inaction in making the amount of of uh, public housing Vancouver needed, is that kind of a general austerity uh, in in the government, or was there more to it than that? Yeah, definitely uh, austerity measures, mostly by conservative governments, of course. Um, but you know, it's really disappointing, even with a provincial government. Currently, which is the NDP, which is a more progressive government, 
we have so many subsidies for homeowners on the provincial and federal level. I'm not sure if you're aware about, you know, the, the primary residence um, tax exemption. Uh, in Canada, we don't have a, a cap on that. So in the U.S., I know there's a $500,000 cap. Um, in, in Canada, that doesn't, the cap doesn't exist anywhere. There, there is no cap. So you could be making no, uh, you, have, you could have a total tax exemption on $10 million house, right? Um, which is absolutely ludicrous. And that could, that's, a, that's a revenue stream that we are forfeiting that could have been used for public housing. The that's province has a, has a B, the BC homeowner grant is another one that's about, that's estimated to be a tax subsidy of about, I think, $800 million a year, which would absolutely, you know, be enormous for public housing. Um, but yeah, no, that's that. Even our more progressive government has upped the cap. So the, um, you're basically exempt from taxes for anything under $1.65 million now. So they raised the cap from $1.6 to $1.65 million, I believe, last year. And I wrote in to them. I mean, I voted for the NDP, but they, yeah, I, I don't agree with this. I think that they should really stop subsidizing homeowners. The gap between renters and homeowners is just getting bigger. And why do we have such big homeowner subsidies and nothing for renters? If anything, you should be subsidizing renters. But certainly just, just get rid of the subsidies for homeowners, right? These people are super wealthy now. <laughs> so this tax exemption, is this, is this more, is this local or is this a federal kind of uh, deal? Uh, so uh, there's both. The primary residence uh, tax exemption, that's federal. And then the BC homeowners grant, that is, or yeah, that is a provincial. It, well, so it's a, it's a BC grant. So it's just saying like, mm-hmm. if you're a homeowner, you do, it's just money should be coming to you. Is that what, like, is that... It's it's a tax exemption. It's a property tax exemption up yeah. to, uh, to for, for for the value of a house up to one point six five million dollars. Wow, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's that's it. That's really. I, mean, I, I just continually hear because I, I I don't I, I I talk to some people from uh, Toronto and I mean it just sounds like yeah you know, more and more people are going further and further to find housing they can just barely make and. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just so weird that there's still this idea that it the it's normal to be a homeowner and you should be rewarded for being a homeowner as opposed to saying right. more and more people are just no that's not even within reach for them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's fascinating. And and I think that the the renter revolt is coming basically. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to sound like a super radical person, <laughs> and I'm, I'm really not, but when I mean a renter revolt is, I think there's a growing awareness that renters really have to, the, the, I don't know, the sharp end of the stick. I, we get the raw deal, really. Yeah. Um, we are basically subsidizing homeowners for their property taxes. Our property taxes, we pay that through our rents, right? Like, we're not exempt. <laughs> So I mean, do you do you see when when you talk to renters, you say that most don't seem very aware of the bigger picture. Do you think most feel like, well, soon I'll be a homeowner, or do you think a lot of them feel that that's you know they're they're going to be renting for a, for a long time? Oh, definitely. In Vancouver, I believe the number of years necessary to save up for a, a, a deposit is about twenty seven years now. Um, now, these people of my generation, the millennial generation, younger generations, we have definitely, um, I mean, a lot of us grew up believing that we would be able to buy a place one day. But I think most of us are basically coming to terms with the fact that, no, we're going to have to basically rent forever or maybe be able to afford a condo. Um, but yeah, most of the people that are able to, frankly, are relying on their parents um, and their equity and their wealth. Wow. So I, I guess if you were to say, I mean, is, is the if you were to look at a way that renters would become organized on a progressive vision, is, is the one city vision more of the of, of what it would look like for things to really have a renter platform? Or is there multiple different components that, you know, kind of renters could all push push forward on? Uh, yeah, I think that the One City platform is very, very strong for renters. I think they have a really, they have a young and uh, inspiring message, and I really have loved all of their candidates. Um, I do think that there's definitely also a place for COPE, which is a more 
really the, the historical long-term uh, progressive party in Vancouver, and they've been very consistently strong in unions and uh, and renters' rights. So yeah, no, there's uh, there's definitely rumblings of more of a like a, a renters, specifically a, a renters parties. I think. So, so as far as your story yourself, I mean, you, you said earlier that you uh, you came from Japan originally. Uh, is, do you think that's part of the reason that you were drawn towards kind of, you know, an urbanist change for Vancouver and in looking from its perspective? Or what else, what else, I guess, led to you becoming more of a housing act- act- activist in the scene? Mm. Yeah, no, I definitely think that my experience with uh, dense living, how it's perfectly fine, it's, it's good living, there's nothing wrong with it, um, that helps. I also have been fortunate enough to be able to, to travel a little bit. Um, I went on an exchange while I was a student uh, to Taiwan, and in Taipei I had this tiny little, like 130 square foot mini studio, and it was right across the street from NTU, the National Taiwan University, where I was doing an exchange, and that was the best eight months of my life. Um, versus, of course, here, this unit would be against code, against um, zoning laws that wouldn't be allowed. There's very much a, a weird sense of let them eat cake in our planning departments, right? We are not, they don't allow you to have units that are smaller than 400 square feet. They don't allow you to to fit more than a certain number of people in a in a building. And it's definitely rather classist and definitely informed by a a vision of oh we we you need to have a certain amount of space for dignity or something but yeah there it's a bit skewed i think from an experience of living in these gigantic thousands of square feet houses and it's it's not actually necessary and people have lived for years even locally in in smaller apartments and it's totally fine yeah, I mean it's yeah, it's it's definitely it it definitely feels that oh if we just mandate big yards and it, it's going to work for everybody and yeah it seems it seems insane that yeah people people just feel that you can outlaw you know kind of yeah. non-normative living and then suddenly you know everything's going to work for everybody instead of just making people yeah. suffer yeah yeah no it's insane I guess another thing that I was um, one thing that really pushed me towards housing activism was I, I was a, 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 a I went through domestic violence I was a survivor of domestic violence and that was really incredibly difficult to try and find for, for, for myself I was a student back then and I had to do an emergency move out and my support network didn't fail me I you know I couch surfed for a bit my university came through with an emergency grant for me to, to move on to campus um, but yeah trying to trying to pay for $750 a month for student housing. That was so tough for me back then. Um, yeah, the $300, 130-square-foot apartment in near, in near, in near Taiwan University, National Taiwan University, that was so much better for me at the time, right? It's all I needed was the cheapest possible thing. And I, yeah, that, that would have been, if that option had been available for me, that would have helped. Yeah, and that's a, it's a very serious thing to underline is you know, giving people the best housing alternatives they can because I think, you know, it's it's if you look at, you know, what are the, you know, what is the state of the art in tenant protections? And if you look at you can stay in your place, I mean, that's I, ideally a lot of people want to stay in their place, but a lot of times people need need to move and they need to find mm-hmm. a place they can afford. That's mm-hmm. it's very scary if people can't. No, yeah. absolutely. There has to be an ability to move, and that means we have to have a higher vacancy rate. It has to be options for tenants, otherwise they're stuck, and it doesn't matter if your landlord is horrible, there's nowhere for you to go. Is there anything you would like to talk about that uh, we haven't uh, talked about yet? Mm, I guess I'd say that uh, from a renter perspective, I would really want to kind of go for like a, all of the above sort of strategy. I want to get rid of homeowner subsidies, get more revenue, and maybe increase property taxes, what have you, and build more public housing, non-market housing, subsidized. Um, 
for especially for the most vulnerable of us, the homeless, the welfare raise about welfare rates, which is not indexed inflation. It's at three hundred seventy-five dollars, and it's just not high enough at all. Um, also, build more market rental. Purpose-built rental is the best form of rental accommodation. I have tried everything from basement suites to apartments, old apartments, new apartment now, and yeah, purpose-built rental is the best, and we need this option legalized in the mansion district of Vancouver. Um, so we really need this like range of options made available for people who can't afford a single detached house. These are not, they should not have a privileged place in our, in our system, right? In our system anymore. It's just really not sustainable. Uh, so we want to keep on sprawling, keep on sprawling outwards and tearing down habitat and greenfield and building houses on top of that. And then people have to drive everywhere because it's so far from everything that they do. Do you think even despite this, you know, kind of homeowner revolt in the latest election, do you think that, do you feel a lot of optimism that this all of the above strategy could really work to uh, make a powerful, a powerful uh, coalition to kind of upset the status quo for homeowners? I'm hopeful, uh, particularly because of the, both the federal government, the federal liberal, liberal government, and the provincial um, NDP government. So these are more uh, progressive than are the than the last, um, the conservative government in federal um, level, and the liberals, the BC liberals, which are basically conservatives, in the provincial government. Um, so our current governments in both those levels of are, are just much more open to getting back on the housing file, which is huge because that's where the money used to be. And so we, we need that revenue um, to build more public housing. So I am definitely hopeful in that sense. And I do think that as long as renters' voices are, are loud and insistent and growing and we promise to vote and we will promise to vote out everybody who does not cater to our needs, which have been ignored for far, far too long. I think that this current administration, there is some hope. I think that the the center, the the center progressive-ish Greens, um, will see that we are we, we are a force to be trifled, and we, that can't be trifled with. Yeah. So I, there's a lot of kind of I guess you know talking about what's going wrong in Vancouver uh, for for somebody you know around here uh, who you know ha- maybe hasn't been there. I haven't personally. Yeah, what 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 does make Vancouver special, and what what should people know about it? Uh, well, Vancouver is absolutely gorgeous with a very mild climate. It's it's sandwiched kind of between the mountains and the sea, and so it is an absolutely spectacular place. It's just we have a lack of housing, <laughs> and I'm sure everybody down your listeners will be, really be able to relate to that. Um, but I do also think that we have a lot of political advantages as well. We're much more <laughs> progressive uh, and welcoming. And generally, we are much more forward when it comes to LGBTQ issues and things like that. So, yeah, it's a great place to live. And I really do hope that I will be able to afford to be able to stay. Um, and, yeah, it's. I, I wouldn't recommend coming and living here yet just because we are lacking in the rental housing department but maybe hopefully in a couple of years we'll have more of that so enough room for everybody uh yeah and 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 i guess what what is in the media future for uh for your group uh, abundant housing vancouver uh we are showing up for every event that we can in terms of the rezoning hearings for for market rental without any displacement for non-market uh housing proposals there's one recently um, there was a lovely nonprofit called Catalyst that had a a great 100% rental, all 20 like 20% below market project that was encouraged by the previous district in North Vancouver administration. They that proposal was now voted against by the current administration of the district in North Vancouver, which is my old home hometown, which is where my parents still have their property, and so that was rejected and. So we're basically going to put pressure on all of these these local governments that they can't do this. They cannot say no to desperately needed rental accommodation anywhere in Metro Vancouver. And so we plan on trying to get out as many renters as possible to these council hearings, to getting everything that I, I mean, I've been writing a lot of all ads in the news 
to basically say, renters, look at this. Look at these councillors saying no to rental housing that was below market, subsidized by the, the BC housing, the provincial government. If these councillors are saying no to this, then we will have no options. Houses in North Van- District of North Vancouver, the status quo is $3 million plus. Where can we go? So basically, that's that's kind of a message that I am trying to get out there and trying to mobilize renters more and trying to educate them on what would help us as well. Because sometimes it can be a little bit confusing, right? Like like the, like rent control is that really helpful? Short term, long term? There is some. I think short term it can be helpful, but long term it can suppress. Uh, apartment supply, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that those are kind of confusing and hard to kind of mobilize around. But something like non below market non profit house, rental housing that's like a no brainer. Right? <laughs> so I think that's these are the issues that we can all agree on as renters that like, yes, this should have happened. This has to happen, and we cannot keep on saying no to them. Yeah, I mean, it's I I feel you know it, in a lot of ways it feels like Vancouver is in the future compared to the Bay Area. You know because in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, California leads America, but it feels Vancouver is a long way ahead of us about you know what you already have as far as protections, but then also what challenges you're still facing. So I think we could definitely learn a lot from from seeing what you're doing right now in Vancouver. Right. Well, I'll keep on trying to push our councils so that we don't go backwards. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, thank you so much for being here today. I, uh, I I came in not knowing as much as I should, and I know slightly more now. So uh, yeah, thank you so much, and I uh, you know hope to hope to always keep track of what's going on in the future. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks a bunch. We have been talking to Jennifer Bradshaw here on the Henry George Program all about the Vancouver housing scene. You can find this episode and all previous episodes at the website for the show, seethecat.org, where there are links to subscribe via RSS, iTunes, Stitcher, etc., etc. If you were to leave a review, uh, no one would complain very much. Uh, and yeah, this is a presentation of Casey Shoe Stanford. <laughs>